I mean, try sitting on a missions uh, uh, missions conference panel where all the missionaries eat bugs on their field, and you're the guy sitting there going to Connecticut to plant a church. Uh, and they're like, "What do you eat? Uh, pizza? I don't know. Is it gross?" <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Balzamo. And how are you this morning, Tom? I'm doing okay. Good, good. We're, we're finally back at it. Yes. Sometimes it's, it's nice we can flex with this, but uh, we had uh, a little interruption there for a few yeah. weeks. You, you became a popsicle. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, had the uh, awesome opportunity of going to the far north and visiting uh, a missionary friend there in Baffin Island. And yes, it was. I, I was a little disappointed at first uh, before we left because the weather was starting to moderate. I was like, oh, you know, then I won't look like I really had to endure anything, you know, because it was just like I don't know, single digits or maybe. <laughs> got to have a story to tell when you come back. <laughs> right. I, I feel uh, that was really. Anyway. So we got there, and boy, the second, third day, the temperature crashed, and it was, it was exactly what I had wanted. Um, so it was, you know, negatives, 20s below, uh, wind chills, 40, 50, 60 degrees below zero. Um, so yeah, it was something to experience and just had a, just a wonderful time. The days were full, um, not too fast, but full, and uh, was productive and enjoyable. And uh, the only thing, it was just a little too short, but... Uh, Right. It really was a wonderful, wonderful trip. But yeah, for a guy who despises being cold, um, I made it back. And um, All right. <laughs> that was one of the things that I wanted to make sure before the trip was we've, we've got to be warm. We've got to be warm. So we were, you know, we were trying to order the right stuff to make sure that, you know, we were going to be warm because we were going to um, go out kind of on an adventure too. So part of the time we went out on snowmobiles out onto the frozen ice, um, on Frobisher Bay and the ice is like 15 feet thick and you navigate through the pack ice and out onto the bay. And it was just really neat. And then we, uh, then me and, uh, one of his sons and him and this, and a, and a friend from church who was acting as our guide, uh, took us out north of town into the tundra there. It's almost overwhelming. It's beautiful, but frigid. Uh, at times. And, um, uh, anyway, I just, I wanted to be warm. And as I was getting up to, uh, to the time when we were going to go out, my wife was like, are you sure your coat's going to be warm enough? Are you, she had bought this, you know, poofy, uh, insulated coat, you know, it looked like kind of a true native, you know, is that, it, it, it looked great. But for me, I thought, you know, I just went, I, I got Carhartt bibs and jacket, you know, that'd be fine. That'd be fine. And it, coming up to the time, I thought, man, I wonder if it is going to work. And, <laughs> Here it is. Promo for Carhartt did just fine. All right. Yep. Yep. Now my actually my Not Carhartt sponsor. <laughs> my that's right. My Carhartt mittens. Um, okay. My my hands hurt by the end of the of that adventure, but but the coat, the bibs, fine, no problem. Excellent. So, yep. Anyway, uh, enough about that. Uh, how about you? Anything uh, you want to comment on? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. No, just just pretty busy as usual. Yes. Um, lots of lots of orders recently. I started doing these things for my uh, my my blacksmith shop where I'm making forged nails, like the old fashioned. Really. Yeah, like square cut sort of yes, nails. Right. Yep. But they've got like a, a rounded overhead that has five different facets on it. 
Um, oh, so they have sort of a neat, neat old neat. world kind of look. <clears throat> and I just thought, I'll throw those in there, be like a placeholder in the store, make it look a little more full. Wouldn't you know those things are just selling like crazy? Really? Yeah. Wow. Surprising. Yeah. You think, uh, this may sound a dumb question, but I mean, are they like making them hooks like coat <laughs> hooks or are they just, uh, I'm like, what would somebody do with that? Uh, yeah, I think some people are using them for like coat hooks, um, mm-hmm. but I think other people might like pre-drill and use them to give like sort of a nail head look on pieces of furniture. Oh, that they're yes. Making. Okay. Yeah. Neat. So Neat. Okay. Well, we've got a lot of listeners. In fact, pretty much I think all day today we're looking at um, uh, listener feedback. And by all day, uh, dear listener, I don't mean that this podcast will last uh, 17 hours. But yeah, I mean, for this <laughs> podcast uh, will be listener feedback. So are we ready to jump in? Yes. Take it away. Okay. Okay. Oh, um, wait, 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 wait. We can't. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Yes. Well, how could uh, we forget? I feel ashamed now that Patron, we almost patrons. Forgot. I am sorry. Uh, <laughs> Tom is even more sorry. Um, we forgot to say thank you, and we do thank you for your uh, investment in this venture. And so, if you're interested in becoming a patron and joining the club, uh, it's been a growing club. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, uh, over at Patreon.com/slash Reason Together, you can uh, go there and sign up for any uh, level of membership. But the elite level gains you a free podcast T-shirt, uh, access to the bonus uh, after show, which is after mm-hmm. every show, and um, as well as the uh, patron message board there for all patrons. So, uh, patrons, again, thank you so much for your investment. Yes, thank you. All right. Um, when we jump in here, um, let's see. I'm going to quickly pull up this one. Somebody asks, um, David asks, he said, I'm not sure if you've covered this again at some point. Um, he's working on catching up to current episodes. You know, I've noticed people do that. And that's uh, that's really something. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, in fact, somebody said just recently they were listening. Uh, they had five hours a day in a truck or something. And they were listening. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, Except... And- Except it's like at this point in the game, I think maybe we're a little embarrassed about our original episodes. <laughs> well, they were, it was it was a start, and uh, they were yeah. long. I remember that that uh, comment kind of like they're kind of long. <laughs> yeah, and well, we we also but, had different segments and things like that, and we were yes. trying to figure out how the yeah. podcast thing works and trying we to had figure like, out like the yeah. word a week segment. Remember, we come up with a new yeah. word. Yeah. I yeah. mean, some of those were admittedly funny, but... Yeah, Chirpumple. Um, Still remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you might hear an evolution of the podcast as you're like uh, marathon listening through it. But anyway, David says he's been catching up on episodes um, and he's recalling the subject of tithing or thinking about mm. that. Um, remembers that uh, we said something about it. He thought we said something to the effect that... Uh, one of us avoided mentioning it to someone that we're counseling. Uh, he said, it's been his opinion that it's one of the steps of obedience to God. And that as long as the person you're counseling is saved, it is a topic worth consideration. I'd like to get some more thoughts on this or an episode where it is covered more. Now, um, and David, you may already know that you can go into, and Tom can explain this better, but into our podcast list on the website, right? And do a search yeah. for different, maybe key words uh, there. Yep. And so if you type in tithing, it may pull up episodes that have that in it. But I don't mind um, kind of just giving a refresher here or any clarification you might have, Tom. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's just it's just a search bar. <laughs> Try it and see if uh, something comes up there. So tithing, to talk about tithing, um, I can think of some reasons why you might want to be careful how much you bring it up. And uh, yeah. <laughs> un- un- unfortunately, there is a stigma uh, that many have about churches that we are money grubbers, that we are constantly asking people to quote unquote, donate. And uh, we're constantly looking for people to support us in some way. Um, I suppose there are some who present it in such a way that it kind of seems a little sleazy where they're constantly asking for money. Mm-hmm. And and whenever we avoid talking about tithing, whether it's counseling or in preaching, there is a strategic reason why we are doing that. It's not because we're trying to withhold the whole counsel of God. No, because we do talk about it when the time is right to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just have to be careful how much we really press the issue. I know some churches where they'll give like a two minute sermonette on tithing literally every week before the offertory. Wow. Um, and uh, it's just a little bit much. And we're trying to manage our testimony as best we can. And unfortunately, that does sometimes mean managing people's perceptions, like it or not. Uh, so that would be the only reason why we would avoid it. Um, are, are we really, are we talking about uh, whether or not it it's still a thing today or like what, what was the rest of well, his question? Well, let me first jump in on something you said, uh, why else we might avoid it. I would say in a counseling situation, um, I wouldn't uh, personally tie it to every counseling situation uh, <laughs> like I would salvation. You know, a right. lot of ones I would say, you know, uh, the, the way to find true help here is by first being a child of God and then, you know, having that confidence that we have the Holy Spirit of God. And that, of course, goes back to your relationship. And yeah. so dealing with the gospel, you know, routinely, but but dealing with tithing, as we've sort of heard it, um, maybe typically in the last generation, that as a, uh, a first step of obedience— um, it is, I, I, obviously, as many things are in Scripture, I, a... I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a first step. Y- yeah, but. I don't know that I'd say that, um, though obviously God wants you to be a giver. But so one reason I wouldn't mention it is because it's... I, the words I think of, I guess, are putting your fingerprints on their murder weapon, kind of like saying... Um, oh, pastor, I'm I'm in I'm in debt, and I this and I that. Well, you need mm-hmm. to start tithing. Okay, so then they they don't know how to manage money already. Right, you know they're up to their eyeballs have, in debt. I have and, literally counseled this exact scenario. Really, and so then they mm-hmm. start they start tithing. They try to give money to the church. They go deeper in debt, or they lose their car, or whatever, and they blame you yep. because you told them to tithe and that God would bless them for tithing and, and, and his blessing didn't materialize in the way that, you know, they would perceive it that if I start tithing, God will let me keep my car or whatever. And so it just can be taken wrongly. It obviously it's, it would be a point of growth at the right time, uh, in the right context. But just to say, that's an answer to your problem. You right now, let's at the the start, you need to just start whacking off 10% of your income and giving it. That's may not be the best. Right. Yeah. And see, that wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't quite the counsel that I gave. Um, you know, I wasn't, when I, when I counseled through the scenario, it wasn't, oh, you're in debt. Well, then you better start tithing so you can get out of debt. Right. right, Um, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people. Um, (laughs) the, the, the way I simply counsel people through that is there's nothing wrong or unbiblical with giving when it hurts. Mm Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with it's doing that. Sacrifice. It's called sacrifice for a reason. Um, I I'm not going to tell you 
that you have to do that right now. But if you understand what the Bible does teach about the issue, and you do have a heart of gratitude and cheerfulness toward the Lord, I see no problem with giving when it hurts. And it would not be uncharacteristic of God, who has done this in the past, to actually bless someone in such a time. Um, <clears throat> what you don't want to do is be intentionally stingy with the Lord and have a heart of um, penny pinching with God. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's sort of... And to just, good, and to take that now into the next step, and I don't want to spend much time on it, but as far as how you teach tithing or what you say, my take on it would be to say that if we, you know, if we have this, like you said, a heart of gratitude, we desire to give to the Lord and say, how much should I give to the Lord? I think you can look into scripture and realize that God gave a pattern. Uh, he gave an example in scripture, when you see Abraham tithe, you know, give a tenth of all that he yeah. had, or even in the law, of course, and yes, that was Jewish law, but it was part of that law that they would give a tenth of this and a tenth of that. So it's like God's given us a baseline that, um, boy, if we wanted to give, we could at least start with a tithe. Now, yes. we certainly could give more. We sure. could go beyond that and give uh, generously and give from our heart. Yeah. Um, but he's given us, if you will, a baseline. Yeah, and just in case there is someone listening who's sitting there thinking, going, oh, well, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Tithing went away with the Mosaic Law. Uh, tithing, of course, existed before the Mosaic Law, so right. thus it could not go away with the Mosaic Law. Right. But additionally, you know, you should read 1 Corinthians 9, where mm -hmm. Paul is explaining how New Testament ministry is to be supported. And guess what he uses as an illustration of how ministries are supported? the Old Testament tithe. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Good. So uh, we can't exactly say it's gone the way of the dodo um, just yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and I'm just going to quickly reference this one. Omar writes in and uh, suggests a, um, a uh, episode topic uh, of interviewing um, uh, our retiring pastor here with a list of questions. I thought those were great questions. Mm -hmm. And I uh, think that's a neat idea. I can uh, see what I can do to make that happen. If you have any, uh, again, any thoughts um, on uh, things you want us to discuss or to reason together about, please send them our way at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. If we were to interview Pastor Dietrich, as we have, uh, or as maybe you did once in the past, um, I thought you were there for that. Was I there for that? You? Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I was. Maybe, maybe okay. I was. Maybe it was. Yeah. What did I have for breakfast yesterday? <laughs> I uh, yeah. I actually, I do remember that, believe it or not, but <laughs> I like breakfast. Um, uh, so, uh, but if you had any questions you would want for Pastor Dietrich to answer, you could uh, throw those our way too. Reason yeah. together podcast at gmail.com. Now you've got a You've got a just a, a little quip here, and then I, I don't. This isn't listener feedback, but I, I'm just uh, curious about this. It says the ubiquitous necktie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. okay, that there there is a listener question behind that actually. Okay, okay good. Um, but I didn't have time to write it out fully, so I just stuck in that little title. Yeah. So, um, I okay. I don't mean for this to be a long conversation. So if oh. this starts going long, just cut it off. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so there, imagine a church where they have a choir 
and they have members who serve up on the platform for one reason or another. Maybe they do special music, maybe they're in the choir, maybe they uh-huh. do scripture reading, what have you. And there, they, you know, some people wear a necktie and some people do not, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, and suddenly, it's discovered that the church has an old policy manual that no one really thought to reference uh, in several years. And um, there happens to be a statement that's that that says that people who are on the platform must wear a necktie. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, do you start enacting the policy of wearing neckties or do you just keep things as they are and do away with this arbitrary idea of having to wear a necktie? Um what, what, what do you do? Is it is it, in a sense, sort of uh, ceremonial and, as some might say, legalistic, uh, to insist that to be holy and right as an independent Baptist church that everyone has to be wearing a necktie on the platform if you're a guy? Um, <clears throat> is is that something? Is that something you could suggest honestly? I mean, I, I see a purpose behind. Uh, you know, modesty rails and some some modesty uh, and decorum things like that. Um, but I mean, a necktie is, of course, a cultural invention. Uh, you know, is is it going too far to require the use of a necktie? So, in the end, you're not necessarily asking about the policy manual or enacting the policy manual after it's been violated for a period of years, but you're asking more specifically about the necktie. Is that what you're well, well, asking? both, both okay. really. Okay. Well, my first thought on the policy book is that uh, probably that policy manual was written by a pastor, and I assume it wouldn't be the pastor under whom it's been disregarded now for some period of time without realizing it. I so, don't know. Of course, the, the the church would be under you know pastoral leadership, meaning that he's the one sort of steering the ship, and and if he doesn't really agree with that policy, I wouldn't make a big deal out, out of it. And if it is, I just didn't seem like it would have gone unnoticed that long. So to me, it's it's something of a mindset of a, of a previous pastor, and it's gone this long. People really haven't noticed it. You know, I would just keep moving. But yeah, um, um, so you don't I, think it sets a bad precedent to just ignore the policy since it's already been ignored anyway? Well, no, because I, again, I, I would think it's of a previous leadership that obviously, if it's been going on this long, people didn't even they're not really thinking about it or weren't aware of it, then I would just sort of discard the policy, you know, as a, as a, you know, each pastor might sort of have his own policies of how he does things. And I think it's a good idea to have a policy, you know, for us, you know, the idea of having a benevolent policy, a marriage policy, you know, who, who do you marry? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, To whom do you give money to and how much? And, you know, and under what certain, I mean, certain policies you can fall back on and say, look, you know, I'm sorry, our policy is that we only do this. They can be a, a helpful thing, but yeah, we might, uh, you know, just to pause on this for, for yeah. just a second, we might be forgetting that there are some folks out there that really believe that if, if someone is on the platform, it, it, all the way up to the pastor himself, if someone mm-hmm. is on the platform, even if it's a Wednesday night mm-hmm. and he's up on that platform in, in church and he's not wearing a tie, they will, they will make entire conclusions about you and your church and your ministry that you have gone worldly and that you've, uh, oh, you know, sure. forsaken right. the right. old paths sure. and all of these other right. things. I had a guy come up to me one time when I had taken my boys up to camp and, uh, and, and he said to me, 
you know, we had just met for the first time. He said, have you ever heard of pastor so-and-so down there, you know, maybe 20 minutes away from you? And I said, yeah, I, I know him. He says, brother, I went and I looked at their live stream one time and that, that preacher wasn't wearing a tie. I just don't know that that church is heading in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was able to size up the entire direction of the place just by the fact that the pastor was absent a necktie. Mm-hmm. Again, a, to reiterate, a cultural invention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> I, that that's that that kind of blew my mind a little bit. But we forget there are people out there that actually believe that. Yeah, yeah, and and while while neither one of us may take that exact stand, I would make the point that everybody has their line. Um, for instance, you know, we say, well, yeah, I, I may not wear a tie, although I always do. But um, but watch our live stream and watch our platform. You know, we're we're in a rural community. Yeah. Um, people in the choir wearing jeans and a collared shirt. You know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, in different scenarios, if I was in um, uh, Arlington, Virginia, or whatever, in a, in a white collar place where people, you know, they work in a necktie all the time, well, that's going to be much more of a normal thing, and they might see the lack of a necktie as um, very unprofessional, maybe uncouth, like, like, come on, the least you can do, you know, if you're going to be respectful of what we're doing right. here is, is, is wear a necktie, what, which you do all the time anyway. So to come maybe not with a necktie would almost look like you're dressing down for church or something. So right. I understand that this could have, you know, different significance in different places and everybody yeah. draws their line somewhere. So we might say, well, I wouldn't want to see a guy like in faded jeans, you know, when somebody else says, look, you know, dress pants, that's just a cultural thing. I mean, you know, if I wear a nice clean pair of faded jeans, they're, they're in, they're modern, they're, you know, they're new, they're, they're as expensive as your, your suit pants or whatever. Um, to just say, are you going to make the, the fabric and the color of your pants an issue of whether I'm headed in the wrong direction? Well, at a certain point we say, uh, this kind of harkens back to another discussion we had, you know, well, you, you're, you're, you're creating a look, you're impersonating somebody, you seem to be indicating a direction. Now, should I judge your entire ministry on one look at your clothing? No, but at a certain point, it does seem to give some indication of where your thought process is. Now, I have, um, I've talked, you know, this was years ago, but I mean, I've talked to people about platform attire for our church. Mm-hmm. You know, personally, I don't want them to wear flip-flops on the, on the platform. To me, that would look very casual. You know, uh, I would, um, and I don't, I don't go to Walmart and flip flops. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, I barely, but I mean, if somebody got saying in flip flops, I think, you know, that just seems so casual. But now, yeah. do I, do I require a necktie? No, I don't. Uh, so, I mean, so, so everybody to, draws to, their line somewhere. That kind of comes to the point of negative versus positive rulings, we might say. So, so it, it just feels so strange to talk about. I got to be honest, it feels weird. But, you know, so you say, okay, no flip-flops allowed if you're going to be on the platform because we want to maintain some decorum and professionalism and so on. But you wouldn't necessarily say we should have a rule requiring certain shoes. Right. So, so that's the difference between a negative rule and a positive one. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a negative rule, uh, one that says no X, do you think that provides more liberty to the Christian than a positive rule that says only why? Uh, well, I don't, I'd have to add, I mean, I guess theoretically, yeah. I mean, yeah. I so don't. To, to give you the example, so you could say, you know, we don't want anyone looking, uh, you know, uh, 
nothing's coming to mind. You know, we don't want anyone looking, you know, scruffy or like a bum when they're, when they're up here, you know, on the platform, you know, that's a negative rule. You say, we don't want this. Um, but then to say, okay, here's a positive rule. You must wear a necktie. Um, that that would, seems to provide less liberty. I don't know. I I would, see. I would see the. It could go the opposite. That's why I, it's hard to answer the question because, like, I I'm aware of a church situation where, um, you know, to sing in the choir, say you can't have, or at least at one time, I don't think you could have facial hair, meaning can't have a beard or a mustache. Well, to me, that's pretty restrictive. If you're used yeah. to having a beard or mustache, where I could easily throw on a tie. I mean, anybody could yeah. throw on a tie. So the tie would be less restrictive to me than the you can't have a uh, you know, commandment, because that's something that, wow. I mean, I can't have a beard or mustache. Well, you know what I mean? Where anybody can throw on a tie. I can't throw on a mustache. Um, anyway, it just, so to me, one seems more restrictive. It just, I mean, why not just simply say, you know, let's, let's everyone do your best to maintain some decorum and professionalism and respectful attire on the platform and just leave it at that. That'd be nice. That'd be ideal. Um, again, you know, uh, yeah, that'd certainly be worth consideration. But, you know, people are going to draw their lines sometimes maybe in significantly so, different places. And, 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 and in those situations, too, you have to remember. And again, I'm not justifying everything that they do, but I am also going to bat a little bit for the presence of a platform policy because sure. uh, it's just kind of a, um, an example you're trying to cast in a way. It's not saying everybody in the church has to do this, or you have to do this if you're going to teach or if you're going to serve in the kitchen or whatever. It's simply saying, if you're standing up in front of the people on this platform, we want to project this image. Okay. Um, you know, if that's the image that you want to project, you know, um, yeah, you know, there's some liberty to do that as, as the leadership, uh, team of the church. So what if you come from a past where, you're in a religious movement where the wearing of neckties is incredibly restrictive. In other mm. words, you must wear this when you come to this church, otherwise you're just a bad Christian. So you're not, you're extending it to the church. You have to. Yes. Okay. So let's say you come from a past like that, Okay. where the idea of wearing a necktie was genuinely a pharisaical practice mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now you're in a church where suddenly you know now they're going back to a policy no one's enforced forever and suddenly uh you have to wear a necktie if you're going to be on the platform and now it's in a sense offending your conscience because you came out of a church movement that was restrictive and oppressive and pharisaical and now you're in a sense seeing sort of twinges of the same thing starting to happen again I, I mean, I guess I would just counsel somebody to talk to the pastor and gain his heart and perspective on it and then recognize <clears> that, <throat> no, he's not coming at it with the same mindset. And if it still offends the conscience, then, you know, yeah. um, you know, then you're going to have to deal with that, I guess. Um, and that kind of goes back to our conscience discussion, maybe. But, yeah. um, um, you know, I, but I can't necessarily say that everyone ought to bend their policies um, to to people's um consciences per se like if, if you know somebody came to our church and this hasn't this hasn't been popular um you know somebody calls and says hey will you marry us you know i'm sorry our policy is that um we only marry a couple if uh one of them is a member of, of this church 
okay, well, you know, well, I, I wanted you to, cause you know, in the past, you know, we had, you'd worked with me and whatever, whatever. Well, they, they may not understand, you know, and they, they feel offended or they feel hurt or, or whatever. Um, and that affects your relationship, but I'm not going to change the policy. Um, just because they don't understand or they're hurt by it either. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because it is a, it is a, you know, good policy, I feel like, and, uh, kind of a safety mechanism. And so just because somebody may feel like, well, you know, I, I feel like you should be more you know, tolerant and liberal towards, you know, doing weddings for people that are trying to do it right. And even though we're not part of your church and okay, well, you know, you can disagree mm -hmm. and, I don't know if they'd say it violates their conscience, but yeah. anyway, um, I wouldn't, bend, I wouldn't say that the pastor has to bend the policy to someone not agreeing it and calling it a conscience issue. But on the other hand, I, if somebody feels like it violates their conscience, I don't want to make them grieve yeah. it either. So, sure. yeah. Um, moving on from the tie thing. Um, and I, I don't, I don't mean to, to, to kind of nudge in with this question. Um, because I know you you had a plan of questions you wanted oh, to go ask. Ahead. No, 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 you're fine. But this one does seem related. Okay. Um, so the question is: Does God have a position on every issue? <laughs> you know, and and okay. not, not I don't want to stay on the tie thing. I want to move away from the tie right, thing. Sure. But okay. it made me think of it. Okay, does God care if someone's wearing a tie or not? Um, my my personal thought on that is probably not. Um, but does God have a position on every issue? And, and I think um, I, I would have to say the way the question is framed, um, I would have to say no, because mankind makes issues. You know, God has a design. So overall, are we fitting in God's design? Well, I think we create issues within his design that aren't necessarily issues. Mm -hmm. uh, we make things issues. And so yeah. oh, now, now God has to weigh in on the issue. Well, yeah. instead, we should just be patterning our okay. lives after, you know, the revelation he's given to us. <laughs> So to use an example okay. then, and, and forgive me if it's somewhat of a crude example, but it is a scriptural example. Okay. Does God care if a Christian is circumcised or not circumcised? Or does, or are you saying he has a design that he prefers? What I'm saying is that uh, I would say there is in his design, he said that it doesn't matter um, as far as righteousness is concerned, you know? Right. Yeah, and so, that, that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. too, is because if I, I put in the note there, 1 Corinthians 7, 19, where, okay, where Paul says, circumcision is nothing and mm -hmm. uncircumcision mm -hmm. is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. In, in other words, that's everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so so we effectively have come across an issue in the Bible that God doesn't really care which side of the issue you're on. And, and that's one that's actually stated in scripture. Right, right. Um, and, um, you know, and, and another passage, you know, where there's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, slave nor free, man nor woman. It doesn't, doesn't mean he doesn't care if you're not a man or a woman or things like that. So, I mean, it, uh, but it, it means that in that context of salvation and of blessings or whatever, it, those things are immaterial, if you will. So, right, if, if we're making, if, if the Judaizer come in, comes in and says, this is an issue, uh, well, no, it's not really an issue. I mean, that your point is that, no, God actually doesn't, has kind of already weighed in on that. And um, yeah, um, I guess you might say he has a position on that issue. <laughs> on, the, on the circumcision issue? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, Wh uh, which really makes you have to think, well, what about the issues that aren't even talked about in scripture? 
mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And how much we sometimes make a big issue out of a thing. Here's an issue that is actually mentioned in scripture that that <laughs> seems important to the discussion. And God says it doesn't matter which which side of the issue you're on. It um, um it's interesting because I, and I know we've talked about this before, and there was a book that um that I had read part of and and one of our listeners had had read and I was frustrated by it and um but it just kind of speaks to the point of like issues I guess where God stands on on issues um is that the author had said something like um you know when I like when he was going into ministry this church called him and this church called him like there's two opportunities and his he said God didn't really care which church I ended up at. Well, I kind of tend to disagree, um, you know, or, uh, you know, when you're looking for your life's mate, um, you know, generally God just wants you to have this kind of a woman. Line five of them up, good girls, they got the right, you know, they, they got the right character, the right desires, just pick one. I well, think I know I, the book you're talking about. Yeah, and I tend to disagree with that. Now, is it, can I hide this, you know, do anyway, we want to mention it? Uh, if you want to, I don't care. Okay, but, just it, it's it, just do something, right? Uh, yes, I was going to say I don't remember the title yeah. of it. Just do yeah, something. Now, just do something. Was he made? Now, could I? I didn't read further, but I think later he's talking about the concept of wisdom, and I can understand that. That as I'm as I'm a, a wise, discerning person, I do the next right thing. Does God say, you know, does God, you know, care whether I eat a bologna sandwich or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Oh man, you know, uh, does he have a, does he have a, you know, a plan for every step and every thought and every decision that I make? Um, you know, should I fill up my gas tank now or should I wait a day and see if it goes down a couple cents? You know, that, but on the other hand to say, do I think he, you know, he has a, a certain person designed for me to be my life partner. I think so. Um, so anyway, there is something to living to wisdom. There's also something to God having specifics in my life. So it's like, is it the specific will of God or the general will of God? Well, maybe we've sort of buttonholed that issue too much. Um, so does God have a position on every issue? Like maybe it depends on how we define it, but you know, like an issue. But I think we can tend to make issues out of things. Yeah. But I guess the fact that if scripture really doesn't yeah. speak to it and doesn't seem wise and it doesn't even seem like a biblical issue, then it's a man-made issue and God doesn't yeah. have to have a position. But but don't you think though that maybe there comes an inherent flaw then with saying that God has a design for even down to the littlest things, because it's in a sense contradictory to the thought that on some issues, God doesn't really care what you do. Well, it depends if you extrapolate that to say God has a design down to the very littlest things, it depends on what you mean by that. Um, well, obviously, I, I, obviously God is the designer of life sure, and, and, you know, all the interactions and consequences that happen with that, um, you know, that when yeah. we do something, well, something I, else just, happens. I'm not attacking the issue. I'm attacking the argument um, in a sense that, you know, whenever, whenever we have an issue that isn't addressed in scripture and we say, well, you know, by God's design, it's this or that we, we are in a sense saying God has taken a specific issue on this, even though it's not mentioned um, in scripture, but it can, in a sense, lead to a fallacy to say, well, God has a design on every issue. Well, well, you can, you can use that in any way you want. 
with any issue that comes up, you can say, well, I think between these two options, this one is closer to God's design. Um, <clears throat> I think it's an argument we have to be careful with. I think, I think, yeah, I think God has a design in things, but we have to be careful with using that argument because we can tend to put our own view in there and say, I think that's God's design. Well, I'm sure that's the case. Um, yeah, I think this, this conversation is extremely nebulous, so it's kind of hard to really, um, pinpoint, I mean, really hard to, to speak specifically to it, but uh, yeah, we certainly need to be careful not to yeah. insert well, our I mean, own design as God's design yeah, and, and, and speak and, for God, essentially. Yeah. And I said, I didn't want to move back to the tie thing, but I mean, that is in a sense a good example because you might have some Christians that say, I believe it's God's design that in 2023 in the United States of America, men going to church ought to wear a tie. Mm -hmm. Even though the Bible says nothing about neckties, someone might say, well, I think it's God's design and then start to use man-centered argumentation to prove it, you know, um, that it's, it's been the, the, the standard of professional formal wear for yeah, several well, decades I mean, now and all of that. People and, have been doing that for generations, I'm sure to say, and right. the more common word would be, you know, I would use design cause I, that to me that really fits the God as the designer, but, yeah. um, but to say God's will, I think it's God's will that we do this. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. a different you, discussion. You, that's a different one? Yeah, I, mean, I think I, that's a different discussion. Oh, okay. Because to me, it, they'd be like, oh, I think it's God's will. In other words, he desires this to happen. Uh, well, I mean, I would connect the two because he obviously desires things to be done according to his pattern. You know, I'm, anyway, yeah. so yeah. it just, I mean, have people been misinterpreting that or sort of, or in, in their own, even immaturity saying, well, I, I think this, I think this. Well, to some degree, I suppose there's a liberty there to say, you know, you do the best you can uh, with what you know, where you're at, you know, keep seeking the Lord. You'll, you'll make better mm -hmm. decisions. You'll understand it better as you go. Right, <laughs> you know right, I mean? right. But at the, by the moment you have to say what I think God wants me to do is okay, then do it. Um, yeah. All right. So, good. Um, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Does God have a position on every issue? Um, okay. Let's see. What kind of time do we have left? Ooh, um, a few minutes. Yes. Uh, maybe I'm going to step do out. It. Do it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but do it. <laughs> All right. Excuse me. I'm going to go get a cappuccino. Oh, no. Um, um, just a second. Um, just do something. Got to do something, preacher, even if it's wrong. It's um, God's design for you right now to just say whatever question it is you're looking just at. Do it. Well, I'm, there's there's a couple different ones. Um, you've got one. And I told the people this would all be listener feedback, but I've got one. It's just sort of maybe uh, <laughs> it, it looks interesting. Pico balloons, but I, I have oh, no idea what that, that is. One's, so, that one's kind of cold in the news cycle now. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm going to go with this one here. We've got a few minutes left. And I do not have a name on this, but whatever listener wrote it in, uh, thank you for the question. He says, um, I think you might have mentioned this topic at some point, but how do you know if you are called to something like ministry okay. or have just been reacting based on the emotions it makes you feel to pursue it? That's an interesting. I think this is David's question. Um David, okay. one, of, one of our newest patrons. Okay, great. Um, he said, are they related or is there some key difference? In other words, are they um, the, the calling and the emotions that it makes us feel to pursue it? Are they related uh, or is there some key difference? 
Uh, I think those both can be true. Um, this mm. is something I have started struggling with today and would really appreciate some input. Um, Man, I have some thoughts on this. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, why don't you, <clears throat> you launch off for us? And then okay, can, so I'm going to start with a completely non-inflammatory statement. <laughs> the way that we as Baptists call people into ministry is completely wrong. <laughs> no, that's not inflammatory. No, I told you. Um, Wait, you should have thrown in some names and maybe some harsh terms. And uh, I could, there... I could. <laughs> yeah, like, I won't, but I could. Like um, who, the, who their children up? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, with talking about calling to ministry, and that's the example that David gives here in his mm-hmm. question, uh, and he, he references reacting on emotions. Um. <clears throat> Kind of as a as a movement, and and we are a movement. We've talked about it before. You know, independence and autonomy does not change the fact that we are still a movement. We still have shared values, shared theology, mm-hmm. shared practices, shared habits, and shared faults. Um, we are a movement. Um, <clears throat> so our movement, when it comes to calling people to ministry, unfortunately, is almost always emotional. It's always o- almost based on emotional things. So we present the needs. Okay, we talk about the 1040 window and the unreached people groups without ever asking why those people are unreached. Uh, we talk about all of these, uh, you know, big cities and places where people should go to plant churches. Nobody ever talks about any town America. Uh, we talk about all these sorts of uh, unique and interesting cultural mission fields. I mean, try sitting on a missions uh, uh, missions conference panel where all the missionaries eat bugs on their field, and you're the guy sitting there going to Connecticut to plant a church, uh, and they're like, "What do you?" eat uh pizza i don't know and is it gross <laughs> <laughs> got anchovies yeah, okay. or oysters um but no anyway we always make it about intrigue and emotion and need right we present the needs look at there's this many churches in this area but look at the population it's this many and we present st- statistical data and it's intended to to make the person feel like an injustice is happening wait a minute you mean to tell me there's only three churches there for 400,000 people or whatever. Uh, you know, oh man, what an injustice. We need churches there. And we're sitting there in a sense, trying to look at the blueprints and trying to figure out what needs to be built next, forgetting that the Lord of the harvest is the one that has the blueprint and he knows what is needed next. And he sends laborers to go. He doesn't ask us to evaluate the field. He doesn't ask us to evaluate the need. He simply says, you go here. You go there and we go. Uh, the problem with uh, the way that our movements often do uh, the call to ministry is we present it as if you don't go, people are going to die. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's mm-hmm. entirely dependent on you. Uh, the, and that's the thing with the whole 1040 window is that these people are unreached people groups and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, so wait a minute, if they're still unreached after 2000 plus years of new Testament ministry, has God not cared about them all this time? Like, is he, is he just trying to call people now? Like, like mm-hmm. did, did he just forget about them over there? Uh, no, there's a reason why God hasn't called people to unreached people groups, and this may be controversial to some listeners, but I think the reason why many unreached people groups are unreached is because they're Romans chapter one people. Uh, they've worshipped the creature more than the creator. <clears throat> they've been unthankful and they've not uh, honored God. And they've, in a sense, chosen to worship the land and the fish and the sea and the, the clouds and the sky. And God says, no, if you're not going to seek me, you're not going to be found of me. 
And there's in the scriptures are replete with examples that when men seek God, he is found of them. I'm thinking Cornelius. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, simple fact is, if those people were seeking the Lord, God would send someone there. Mm -hmm. We don't have to stir up the emotions. So when it comes to whether or not you are called into ministry, kind of get to circle back to David's question here. If you can remove the emotional pleas from it, if you can remove the statistical data, if you can remove the alleged need that you're perceiving and still sense in some way that God wants you to be there. Um, yeah, I think you might be dealing with something more legitimate <clears throat> than a lot of the calls that we see happening at youth camps and uh, summer camps and Bible colleges, um, unfortunately. But anyway, rant, rant over. Okay. I, I uh, agree with a lot of what you're saying there. My The couple connections I would make is... Um, uh, the the concept of a call, yeah, I think is uh, is sometimes misguided. Though, um, uh, in Acts, you know, God God speaks, if you will, to the church at Antioch, and He says, yes. "Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry to which I have called them." So, in some way, He was calling them to a ministry. Many times in Scripture, calling is to salvation, but in that case, it was to a ministry. And I would have to say that um, a desire is certainly a part of that, um, mm-hmm. that that if you have a desire to something, and to me that connects in some way with emotions, because it, 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 interesting how he phrased the question, emotions, it makes you feel to pursue it. You know, if you have a desire to pursue this thing, you don't necessarily know where that desire is from. I wouldn't disregard that. I wouldn't, uh, Tom's not saying you can't feel emotion or that uh, emotion is always um, taboo because that desire to me is connected with an emotion. And so if if you're feeling a need to pursue this now, my, my other question and connection there would be to say, uh, what you need to maybe be cautious of is what is stoking the emotion. And that's what Tom's right. saying is that if it's a preacher's impassioned plea that stirs the emotions, maybe that could be the beginning of a desire. Right. But on the other hand, if you're responding simply to his passion um, and in two weeks it's kind of died off or whatever, and now you more feel an obligation because you raised your hand and I right. guess I have to. Pr- but if you just genuinely feel a desire uh, whether, you know, in first, was it first Timothy three, where he says mm-hmm. that if a man desire the office yeah. of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Yeah, it can be, mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah, it certainly can be, uh, <clears throat> it can be connected to desire. Yeah. And thank you for the clarification. I'm not saying emotions are always wrong. I'm saying mm-hmm. they can be misleading. Yes. Uh, yeah, especially right. when they've been manipulated. Yeah. When, when they've been manipulated by uh, a charismatic individual, a very convincing individual, emotions can certainly be, be misleading. Um, but I know for me personally, when we were called to the ministry, there was no emotion that I recall being involved in it other mm-hmm. than I felt the Lord wanted me to do something with this. Uh, I, I felt that there was some some sense of uh, duty that he'd placed on my life, some sense of obligation. Uh, and, and as far as where we were called to, again, there was there was and there still isn't necessarily an overly emotional uh, sense to it. It's just that we knew this is what the Lord wanted us to do. And I would say similar to me and that that there there may have been, you know, a time or here or there where my, you know, where I felt emotional about something, but largely my sense of the calling, and this is where I think we need to be careful, like what is the call? We're asking, how does God call? Well, I think more accurately we would say, um, how does God lead? 
and mm. and where is he leading me? And I had Good. to come to the point where I basically said, um, you know, I am called to follow and I'll do that a step at a time. So basically I need to walk with the Lord and I need to just take a step at a time. And so for me, it wasn't emotional. In fact, it wasn't even really uh, highly specific. Even in college, it was, uh, you know, where, uh, where do you feel called or where do you see yourself? And I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know, but I'll know yeah. when I get there. And right. then, and then finally, fi- thanks. And then finally we, you know, got to the point where pastor called and we interviewed here. And then when I went back, I didn't feel this gushing emotion that, oh, I just, I stepped on the property and I knew that's where I was supposed to be. I, I went back and I just felt pretty much the same. And, um, and I talked to my pastor about it, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not feeling any big emotions here. Um, and it's just a, it's just a step at a time thing. Now there've been points along the way where I see, ah, that's the desire that I have. That's what I want to do with my life where, yes, that is what motivates me in a way. But as far as, um, like, yes, the emotions of, um, uh, of people dying while that's true, you have to be careful that. And, and pastor Dietrich has, you know, made a good point in the past about when you get fixated on people, um, that actually becomes problematic. You know, these people yes. need somebody. They want somebody to come and start a church. They're they're dying and blah, blah, blah. And then I get my eyes all fixed on them and I get there and after a while, they're used to me. They don't respond the same way. They don't mm-hmm. say, oh, preacher, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for that message. They just take you for granted. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden you begin to f- lose that uh, that feeling of worth and that feeling of a calling where your eyes should be on the Lord to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right. If my eyes are on you, it doesn't matter what the people think about it or not. 100%. Um, I just uh, I just keep taking it a step at a time. So I would say if you feel a desire, uh, don't discount that. Uh, say, right. you know, if I'm delighting in the Lord, he can give me the desires of my heart and I'm just going to move a step at a time in the direction I believe he's leading. And if he's not leading that way, the Holy Spirit is more than capable of raising a red flag or closing that door, if you will. And uh, just just follow the Lord a step at a time. Know him. Uh, he says in Proverbs 3, 5 and, uh, and, and 6, um, in all thy ways, essentially know him and he shall direct thy paths. Um, and that's not necessarily a point in time calling. It's a step-by-step walking down the path. One day at a time. Yep. Yep. Good. So, hey, David, thanks so much for the great question. We're going to have to tie it off there and move into our uh, after show. Uh, Again, uh, patrons, uh, thank you so much for your support. Listeners, if you have any questions, send them our way, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you for being with us. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.